Well, turn to the last chapter of the Bible, and then if you uh, turn to the chapter of Mac, maps, you went too far, go back. Revelation 22. So we were in chapter 21 last week, and we saw that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth made out of material that is unknown to us now. It'll be a brand new molecular system. It will not have the second law of thermodynamics working where things are winding down and, and, and coming apart. As a matter of fact, the opposite happens. Things get newer and fresher and better. So it's sort of a reverse uh, entropy, if you would. And then we saw out of the new heavens and the new earth, there's a unique thing that's almost impossible to describe, but it's the new Jerusalem. And it's not a location on the earth as we know it now. It's actually something that some speculate it's, it's I don't know, like an island, if you would, maybe an orbit around the earth um, or its own planet. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really sort of impossible. But in case you think this is just spiritual, some, some say, well, the book of Revelation is all symbolism. Well, in the last chapter, he said, John, measure it. And he gave him clear measurements. And it was a cube. The new Jerusalem was a, a cube or a pyramid shape, equally 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. So now we're on the earth, so to speak, and we travel sideways, if you would. But in this case, we can equally go up like a skyscraper, if you would, but 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. And in that new Jerusalem, he has prepared a place for you. And uh, again, our minds are sort of being blown here. And remember, the Apostle Paul said, man, I am not going to try to tell you one thing I saw there in 2 Corinthians 12, because there are not human words uh, to speak it. So I'm not going to tell you anything. Well, John's trying. John is using every earthly imagery he can to try to explain something that's going to be similar in some ways to earth and the heavens we know, but very different at the same time. And so we come into chapter 22 as we're continuing to describe that new Jerusalem. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb. So in this new Jerusalem, it's as if it were coming from the Lord himself, coming from God the Father and God the Son. And we know through the scriptures, the water represents the Spirit, right? And so there is this flowing of the fullness of God, and it's a water that we can't describe. It's a purity that that cannot be humanly explained. It's just so clear. 
but yet you can see the water. And it's coming from that throne of God. Zechariah in 14.8 says it this way. And in that day it shall, that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea, the other half towards the western sea, and both summer, winter, it shall occur. So in the millennial reign, we saw this in part. But in the new Jerusalem, it's going to be a completely uh, unique water still. But we see this is the heart of God even during the thousand year millennial reign. And David says it this way in Psalms 36, 8, they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. In Psalm 46, 4, there is a river whose stream shall, <coughs> excuse me, make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just as the break of dawn. And so there has always been this craving, this desire. We know in Acts 2, Peter says, and David prophesied, only understanding in part, but he was a prophet. And David here is prophesying, and, and he is saying there is a river that's going to flow, <laughs> and it's never going to stop. And it's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem that never shall be moved, shall never be changed. You know, the Lord tells us now to partake of his river, right? In Psalm 1, we know that well that we are to delight ourselves in the law of the Lord, meditate in it day and night. Then as we are in that flowing word of Jesus, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Jesus says, man cannot live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so this flowing of the word of God, it says there in, in Psalms 1, that will be planted by a rivers of water. Our fruit will come up in season. Our leaf shall not wither, and whatever we shall do will prosper. And then there's a moving of God's Spirit, a baptism of the Spirit, like we see in the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came upon them in power and filled them up. And then I love it in Acts 4. They prayed again. Uh, I'm empty now. I need to get filled again to stay into that place. And, and Jesus said in John 4 to the woman at the well, this water you'll thirst again, but the water I have to give you, you will never thirst again. And then he explains it. It's the water of the Spirit of God. And he actually says it. The water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up unto everlasting life. And then John 7, Jesus prophesied of that thirst we would all have. And he said on the last day, the great day of the feast, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Speaking of himself, drink of Jesus. And he who believes, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so if you would, from the throne, from God, from the Lamb, out of his abundance. He is flowing. 
And this river is coming from the throne, coming down. And where does it tell us in verse 2 it's heading? Into the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So in the millennial reign, we saw that the river came down the throne and it went to the Dead Sea and it went to the Mediterranean Sea. And the people could come and drink of those waters in the millennial reign. But now in the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, this water is just flowing down Main Street. And we've learned that these streets are made of gold. And so picture this giant street and the water coming down the throne and then it goes in the middle of the street. Um, Spurgeon said he pictures it sort of like Holland, <laughs> where rivers are flowing in between all the streets. You know, um, or Venice, you know, you get on a boat and you're <laughs> traveling everywhere. And, uh, and there's this river flowing through the middle of the beautiful golden streets. And then it says on either side of the river is the tree of life. So this tree of life seems to be right there in the middle of the river, but yet the root system is sprawling out and causing all kinds of trees to come up from that one tree of life. And as the Bible started in the Garden of Eden with the book, with the tree of life, God evidently protected that tree of life. Maybe it's the one in the Garden of Eden. Maybe it's a completely new one. I don't know, but it's called the same exact thing. But when it's planted in the middle of that river, in the middle of the street, and the root system's going out, there's just a line of trees down this street. And there's 12 different fruits. Now, I, I, you know, we, we have within our... Uh, English literature where, you know, it ends up being an apple, right? And uh, I, I think that uh, it probably just came from the Latin word. You know, the Bible was in Latin for so long. And the Latin word for apple is also the word for evil. And so whether that word was created <laughs> from the concept of the book of Genesis or whether that word already existed, but um, my, my guess, since they sowed Fig, tree, fig leaves to cover up their nakedness, it was probably a fig tree, right? I mean, it's not like you, you say, oh, here's an apple tree, but let's go find some fig leaves. Those would work better. You know, I, I don't think you'd do that, right? You're all looking at me. I have no idea what the fruit was. I, I, just, I just know it wasn't an apple. But <laughs> this is important. Because it says in Revelation 2, 7, he who overcomes, I will give him to eat of this tree of life. So it's, it's something amazing. And, and as we eat it, we, we learn a couple of things. One is that even though we're going to live eternally, there is going to be some kind of time system. Because there's months and there's 12 months in the year. We also learn that even though there'll be no pain, no sorrow, nor death, nor suffering, yet the sensation of healing is still there. This word in the Greek is 
therapeion, and it is where we get our work therapeutic from. So as you eat of these trees, and, and it's not just one fruit, one month it's this kind of fruit, the next month it's another kind of fruit, and, and you have 12 different types of fruits, so things are new and changing, and, and, uh, but there's always a harvest of these fruits. But when you eat it, it's this therapeutic thing. This same word is often found health-giving. It's, it's, it's making you feel energized healthy. So you say, well, you must have been tired. No, there's no awareness. There's no tiredness. Well, you must have been feeling a little achy. No, there was no achiness. But we have the sensation of feeling good only. That's I'm waiting for those days, right? I mean, how many of you guys tonight are going, oh, I want to treat, I need church, but uh, I need my bed also. Um, yeah, you get, the older you get, the more you can't wait for that tree of life. Well, in verse 3, there shall be no more curse. That's all we know, isn't it? Everything we know, it's, we're, we're fighting not to be a curse. People we love only want to bless them, and we try to do good things for them, and we end up hurting them. All the best intentions, all the best efforts, time, money, energy, and it ends up hurting more than helping. And you're going, I think the best way to help them is to ignore them. <laughs> Stay away from me. You'll be better off. I, it's amazing, you know. You, you try to bless your child with a, a new car, and, and they get the car, and then they get in a wreck a week later because they were able to travel out of town for the first time because they had a car that worked. And then they get in a wreck. And you're going, oh, man, had I not bought the car for them or helped them get the car, then they wouldn't have traveled out of town. They wouldn't have gotten a wreck. Or, you know, you, you try to fix some special meal, and, and they're eating it, and then you, they start to seize up, and they have a peanut allergy, and you had no idea. And it was a peanut sauce, peanut sauce you had in the, the thing. And they're like, man, I had you over for dinner and almost killed you. It, it, it's, it's amazing how there, there's... Always the bitterness, even in the sweetest parts of earth, isn't there? There's rarely just a sweetness without some negative thing that you got to fight through. If you don't understand that, go on family vacations, and you'll never doubt that again. The, the, the one common thing I would say to my kids when I went on vacation, I'll never do this again. But uh, anyway... But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and a servant shall serve him. You say, serve him? I thought we were going to be on vacation in heaven. Now, remember back in the beginning, Adam was created in his first day of creation. He was tending the garden, and it wasn't a curse. Working's a blessing when it's you got strength, you got energy, there's no curse. There's no weeds. <laughs> There's nothing going to die. It's just blessing, but also to serve the Lord. You know, it's not always been this way in my marriage, but, you know, in the last few decades, you know, I, I just love serving my wife. You know, I'll get into bed at whatever time at night and all comfortable going, you know, this guy's not going anywhere. And she's like, oh, can you get me some water? And my heart just leaps with joy. It's like, man, I love to. I'm serious. <laughs> I knew you guys would not believe this. You can ask my wife. I really do. 
love serving her. And Cheryl, do you feel the same way? Yes, she feels the same way. I don't know why you guys are laughing at this. You need to, we need to start a marriage uh, uh, weekly Bible study. Forget, forget going into Titus next. We're going to start marriage. But there is an overwhelming joy when you love somebody to serve them. And that is the truth. And unfortunately, you guys don't know what I'm talking about. But one day, you'll get there. Come on, you other old people besides myself. Do you, do you love serving your spouse? Come on, raise those hands up. Come on. Yeah, there you go. Laugh at these people instead of me. There, there you go. I'm a sensitive guy. Come on. But that's the truth. I do love serving. And how much more our husband in heaven. We are going to have the opportunity, understand this, to give to the one who possesses all. You know, that's you get to that age where, like, what do you want for your birthday or Christmas? It's like, anything I want, I buy. I, there's nothing. Love. Be nice to each other. I, there's nothing I want. And, but yet in heaven, there's going to be hunger, but no curse with the hunger. It'll be just enough hunger to want to eat up. There's going to be thirst, but not the cursed thirst, not a negative thirst, but a thirst that you're going to want to drink the water. And there's going to be <coughs> no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, but yet there's going to be work. And in that work, I have no idea what it's going to be. It's going to be the joy and the pleasure of serving our spouse for eternity. Isn't this interesting? It's, it's, it's sort of going, man, there's some earth things, but I can't really picture that without the curse behind it. I can't really think of being hungry without being almost greedy about it. Give me food. I'm starving. Ah. And then you feel like, oh, I ate too much. It's sort of even the best meal. You sort of walk away going, I want to eat more and I can't, or I want to eat more and it's, there's no more left, or I ate too much. I should have ate less. And then sometimes the best foods, and this is the number one question I'm going to ask God, is why do the best foods on earth are fried and are bad for you? Fry anything. It tastes better, right? And of course, donuts. I mean, I just, you know, they can say heavenly donuts, but they're not. They're, but anyway, these are interesting things. We're going to be able to serve the Lord, and it's going to be such a joyful aspect of being in heaven. And I can imagine that because that's the way me and my wife are towards one another. Anyway, they shall see his face. No time in history could man look at the face of God. Moses craved it. He wanted deeper. I want to go deeper. And God said, you can't. No man can see God and live. And of course, that makes sense, right? The finite can't absorb the infinite. It's just impossible. But here's the radical thing. In heaven, we are going to be able to look into his face. I, I just... I, I just can't get enough of, of little children. But when I, you know, and, and, and uh, they seem to like me, but I love to just hold them and then just 
Kids will stare at you. Just look in your face. Or what about puppies? You ever notice that? You can get a puppy and just, and it's like locked on you, and you just stare at that cute little face. You can't get enough of it. You just keep staring at it. It's staring back, and then it licks you and tries to move. And, and you know, or what about babies? Get those little babies, and you just stare at that face. You know, Jesus feels that way about us. He's going to get you, and he's going to grab you on the side of the head and just put his face in your face. And we are just going to love that moment. And he, he even more than we are, are going to love that moment. And we're going to stare at each other a couple thousand years, and it'll seem but a second. Isn't this amazing? And, of course, the healing of that, the power of that. I love what Spurgeon says on this. page. I'm not sure what page it is in the notes there, but it says this. By which I understand two things. First, they shall literally and physically with their risen bodies actually look into the face of Jesus. And secondly, that spiritually their mental faculties shall be enlarged so they shall be enabled to look into the very heart, soul, character of Christ so as to understand him, his work, his love, his all in all, as they never understood him before. We see in a meridimply, right? <laughs> but one day we shall see him as he is, as, as in, in a way that we can't even understand clarity. David longed for this. In Psalm 17, 15, he says, As for me, I shall see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. We're going to have, we're not going to be running around naked like Adam and Eve. We're going to have the robe of righteousness. Not a secondhand righteousness, not a qualitative. It's exactly the same exact righteousness of Jesus himself. We are going to be holy as God is holy, without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, but perfect. And he is going to look upon us in our righteousness. We are going to look upon him in his righteousness. Forget about the rest of heaven, right? I mean, just a second of that, that's eternity for me. Forget everything else. Really, that's what David said. I, I just can't wait till I awaken in his likeness. I can't wait till I see his face in righteousness. And upon that throne of God and the Lamb. Boy, now, a verse that we know so well. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. Think of it in this context of Revelation for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Didn't happen in his lifetime on earth, did it? And his name shall be called, what are we going to be looking into that face? Wonderful. 
counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the father who in who the, the one who fathered eternity, the prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And we just studied on this on the life of David and upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. <coughs> I would say if you're picturing, picturing Jesus sort of calm, laid back and going, yeah, it's good to have you guys here, man. Hey, have a fruit. Uh, this is the fruit in season this month, you know. It's not going to be happening. Jesus is going to be as giddy as a schoolboy on his first day of school. He is going to be full of zeal. He's going to be like a, a guy who's getting married and waiting for his honeymoon night. And he's like, you just, wow. I, I can still remember when me and Cheryl got married back in the last century. And, uh, and we finally got the whole thing over, and we were on our way to, to Santa Barbara from L.A., and that feeling of sitting in the car, looking at each other, had a few hours drive. It was, I can't explain it. It was the most joyful, peaceful, wonderful feeling I ever had. Just, wow, I'm a grown-up now or something. I don't know what I had in my head, but it was just, this is so right. This is what it's, you know, God made it beautiful. And in his time, we wanted to get married a year earlier and our parents said, no, wait. And we waited and submitted to their desires and, and in his timing. And it was just, wow, on that day, understand that Jesus in his zeal is going to grab you by the face and he's going to look at you and you're going to see the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. And, and from that point forward, forever and ever, we're going to see the glory of God the Father, the Lamb, and Jesus sitting upon the throne of David forever and ever. And one more thing I forgot to mention a minute ago. Um, and it says it's for the healing of the nations. We talked about this last week, how the, the kings and their glory will have their glory in heaven. And the Bible says early in Revelation, every tongue and nations of people. So in the new heavens and the new earth, there's evidently going to be nations. And some of the kings, like King David, we know shall rule uh, over the house of Israel forever. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? And so he, he is saying that the, the, the nations are going to come for the healings um, through the, the, the fruit as well. There's so much in here. Uh, the last time I taught, taught it, I took five weeks to teach through chapter 22. So <laughs> verse 6 here, and he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Jesus once again says, listen, guys. It's pretty outrageous. I mean, you got to understand John is on one day absorbing all 22 chapters. He went from being imprisoned on the island of Patmos. I, I, I've been over there uh, off of the, 
the Adriatic Sea and, and that area off of Croatia, and it, it is crazy hot over there. And, and the islands are just completely barren. And he is an old man, probably in his 90s at this point. And it sounds like they had one day off a week. And he is blasting off from Revelation 1 all the way to Revelation 22 in a day. Imagine that. And he's like, some of this sounds so outrageous. These demons, these bowls of wrath. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you're going from hell on earth in the tribulation period to, to heaven and a new Jerusalem and pure rivers and righteousness and trees I can't even explain and roads I can't even... I, I, I'm not doing it accurately, but gold, if you would. I'm sure it's much greater than gold, but that's what it looked like. I mean, and, and, and he's stepping in saying, listen... It's fantastic. It's it's amazing. It's it's you know incredible to to try to understand all of this. But this is the truth. And the Lord God, the holy prophets, sent his angels to show you his servants and the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. He's going to say this a few times now. And the word quickly here does not mean quick as in Time, it's, it's saying when it starts to happen, it's going to happen really quickly. You know, uh, when, we, when we would teach for years, Ezekiel 37 and 38, we know at one point, at some point, the Soviet Union couldn't be the Soviet Union because only a portion of the Soviet Union was going to attack Israel, Gog and Magog. And you're looking at the Soviet Union, and then all of a sudden, in a day, it's split up, and you got Russia and Hungary and Yugoslavia and Romania and you know East, you got West, you know Germany and all, all these things out from underneath the power in a day. We've seen that. I mean, it's like every decade, you know, you go back forty years, and it's like you try to describe to your kids that are born in that decade what it was like in the decade previously, and it, it sounds like a Disney story. To try to explain to kids today in my 50s what it was like when I was a boy, it's, it's unbelievable that things were so safe and, and so much freer. And, and there wasn't all of this wicked and evilness in the world. It's happened in a day. And so he's saying that when the signs of the times come, it's going to happen quickly. It's not going to, you, you, you're going to see it. Every generation has some signs of the times, and it's to cause all of us to, to look for the Lord's return. But when all these things line up prophetically, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen in a way that, that you didn't expect. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Remember earlier in Revelation 1.3, he said, Blessed is one who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. And now he's adding to not just reading it and hearing it, but now he's saying also keeping it. And John does exactly what he did earlier in verse 8 and 9. And I, John saw and heard these things, and I heard and saw, and I fell down and worshiped before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Remember, he just sort of lit him up in the last chapter for doing this. And he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant. I'm your brother and the prophet of those who keep the, the words of this book. Worship God. We're all equal. 
Whether, whether it's the prophets, the mighty prophets of old, or whether it's just a regular Christian who, who receives the, the work of Christ on the cross, there, there, there is nothing about me that should be worshipped. Only worship God. And in verse 10 and 11, and he said to me, do not seal the words up of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So if you remember back, there was another guy who had a similar experience with an angel showing him some wild and crazy things. Do you remember that? Daniel. And as you read those last six chapters of Daniel, 7 through 12, almost all of that is now in the book of Revelation, but saying you'll understand Revelation if you understand what God revealed to Daniel in the history of the kingdoms of the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire, and then the revived Roman Empire. If you understand that history that I revealed to Daniel, and now take that knowledge, and now I'm going to put it in the book of Revelation and explain it to you. But in Daniel chapter 8 and twice in Daniel chapter 12, he told Daniel, seal this up. This, this is not going to be understood yet. This isn't for people. So understand, all the Bible is the word of God, but not all the Bible is equal. And not all the Bible is, is a word in season for every situation. God came with a word that applied to Abraham. God spoke to the children of Israel at what would, you know, words for them that they needed to have while they were in the desert. And then there was words for them that were important while they were entering the promised land. And although we can see the nature of God, those commands were for them at that time. And then we look now that a thousand years ago, you say, well, the early church fathers didn't say a lot about revelation in the end times. They, they, they didn't. It's true. Well, the pre-trib rapture concept really didn't come about until the late 1800s. That's true. I, I don't disagree with that. But why? <laughs> because the Holy Spirit wasn't focusing them in on that until these times of the end. And so he's telling uh, John there is going to be a time and unseal this now and, and you're going to see um, these people in these last days are going to understand what is happening here. And, and uh, as Peter said, as the light shines on these end times prophecies, as the day dawns, we'd see it clearer and clearer, and we are. And then he says it's at hand. Notice what he says in verse 11. He was unjust, let him be unjust still. He was filthy, let him be filthy still. He was righteous, let him be righteous still. He is holy, let him be holy still. I think this means a, a couple of different things. One, it's coming quickly. The Lord's at hand. And if you think in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you're going to say, you know, you see this guy disappearing. Oh, Lord, forgive me too. You know, it's not going to happen. You, two men are going to be in the field. One's going to be taken, the other's going to be left. Two, two, two men grinding at the mill. One is going to take and one is left. 
is going to happen in an instant. And those compromising Laodicean Christians, <laughs> those Christians, as we look at the se- word to the seven churches, who are allowing wickedness to, to, to reign in the churches where the Lord said, hey, I'm, I'm going to end this church if you don't repent. That he's saying to these churches and to us, you need to realize that I am throwing you a lifeline with the book of Revelation. Because if you read these prophecies and hear them, now take heed to them, it will help you in those last days when the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things are trying to drown you out, trying to keep your passion down, trying to keep you being that, that your candlestick lit and ready for uh, the wedding feast. And the second thing I think this is saying is people are going to do what's in their heart. You, you know what? You can try to convince. You can try to nudge. You can try to help somebody to say, get on fire for the Lord. Serve the Lord. Stop living. You, you can do all you want. But it says in Proverbs, out of the issues, out of the heart flows all the issues of life. People are going to do, forgive me for my French, but what they damn well please. And that should scare you because it scares me. And there's this that point going, I can't move anybody. And the Lord's coming back. And, and I'm screaming and yelling and and they're uncomfortable every time they see me. And, 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 and what am I doing here? And there's just a point where the Lord just says, you watch yourself. <laughs> you be ready. And in these last days, I mean, it's just a foolish thing. It to somebody to think that that opportunity to receive the Lord is whenever they want it, however they want it, in the day they want it. It is just not true, guys. The Holy Spirit is not proposing to you every day of your life until you're on the deathbed and then you say, okay, now that I don't have anything to lose, I'll receive the Lord. God's not going to play that game. You're playing a chess game that you will lose. I want us all to look at this verse in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 through 12. Clearly, he's talking about these days. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 through 12, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all the power and signs and the lining wonders. Talking about the Antichrist. And with all unrighteous deception among those who are perishing because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I I just simply say in these last days, they're unique. And it's just going to become clearer and clearer, those who are in and those who are out. (laughs) And those who want to live a righteous life, their hearts are going to be hardened to live more righteously. 
And those who have been on the fence and trying to get an American Christianity, an Evie's Belizeism, a Christianity without a cross, that they're going to be in that valley of decision. They're going to be on that fence. And God, as his coming is closer and closer, nobody's going to be on the fence. You're going to be a sheep or a goat. You're going to be a wheat or a weed. And he can see it. And I would just simply say, this is a warning. If you are finding yourself in that place of compromise, you're finding yourself in, you know, wanting an easy believism and just sort of, you know, retire from your job and retire from Christianity and just cruise. You know what? I would be afraid for you. And I just think we have to just say to our hearts, we need to say to one another, let us provoke one another, irritate one another to love and good works and not to forsake the gathering of the gathering of the brethren, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. Well, moving on to verse 12. And behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And we looked at this before, that what we have said and done, every word we've said is going to be held in account. Every motive of our heart is going to be held account. All our deeds are going to be account. There will not be condemnation with that. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that God's going to light a fire to our life. The foundation will stay, which is Jesus Christ. But in 1 Corinthians 3, if you have gold, precious stones, or you have hay, wooden stubble, it'll get burned up. And there are some people that will be saved, as Jude says, by the seat of their pants. You hate the very garments that they're wearing at the rapture of the church. But they will be saved. But, but others are going to have great reward. And Titus, he, he, he makes it clear. You're saved by grace. It's all by the work of God. And then in Titus 3.8, he says, but those who believe in God should be careful, watchful, let there be tension there to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And Jesus is saying one more thing. When we see him, there will be a time of reward. Well, in verse 14 and 15, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and to enter through the gates into the city. Peter said, I, I, wanna, I want there to be a joyful entry on that day. And so there's going to be an entry of, of people joyfully, and there's going to be people that are at the back of the parade. And here it's, it's obey God, follow God. You're going to not regret having done that. But outside are dogs. Sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices lie. So again, there's going to be a clarity that no one is going to make it to heaven who has not been made righteous by Jesus. And I understand, and especially as people get older, I've seen them with just a more gracious and merciful heart, wanting everybody to be included. <laughs> I know some amazing apologists 
And in the last decade of their life, they've written books basically saying there is no hell, or if there is, it's a temporary stay there, and then they come to heaven. And it's basically a doctrine called the brotherhood of, of all believers where everybody is going to make it to heaven. And I'll just simply say to you, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 11, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then he gives a little more of a thorough list, fornicators, idolater, adulteress. And he goes on and he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In Galatians 5, 19 to 21, the, the Galatian church is wanting to include all these people living a sinful life. And Paul says, no, the works of the flesh are adultery, fornication. And he gives this list more thorough than in Revelation. But then in verse 21, and, and anything like this, anything unclean, anything impure, anything filthy, and he says, just as I told you beforehand, the doctrine didn't change. Somebody told you that Paul no longer believes what he preached when he was there in Galatia. No, it's not going to change. Just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then again in Galatians 6, he says again, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. And so, again, he's making it clear. I understand one of the things of the spirit of this age is doctrines of demons that are tickling men's ears, and one of them is, lighten up. No one's going to hell. <laughs> Relax a little bit. God's more gracious and forgiving than you're giving him allowance for. It's not about God being more gracious or merciful. He is gracious and merciful to anyone who will call upon his name and repent and follow him. But if you don't repent and follow him, then you're not going to enter the gates. You're not going to eat of the tree. It, it's, it's, it's very clear. And so the passion of evangelism is still very much in effect. Now, the word dogs there, it, it's a word even like today. If you said, you dog, it's sort of saying you're a raunchy person. So some people sort of freak out here and say, are you saying my dog's not going to go to heaven? <laughs> and I say the same thing. I have no idea if your dog's going to heaven, but mine is. <laughs> but it's because I led him to the Lord. And uh, so I don't know what kind of evangelist you are, but in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So he said, I'm the first and the last, a clear proclamation. He's the star. We have that today. You're the star. <laughs> You're the star of the play. Jesus is the bright and morning star. He is to be glorified. He's, again, I am the root and the offspring of David. That's amazing. I'm the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. And don't forget, I'm the seed of David <laughs> and the bright morning star. It's, it's amazing how the root of the seed of David is right in there with these incredible uh, titles of, of God being God and no one else. And in verse 17, the spirit and the bride says, come, Maranatha, and let him who hears say, Maranatha, come. 
And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So in these last few words of Jesus, the doors open wide. Wow, did you hear what he just said? Nobody who's a liar or fornicator or murderers, they're going to be outside a bunch of dogs. That's not very nice of Jesus. And he's coming back saying, guys, I'm telling you the truth. It'd be like you having a doctor who doesn't want to tell you you have cancer. And he's like, oh, no, you're doing great. (laughs) He files the paperwork showing you have cancer. And and you come back six months later, man, things are getting a little worse. Ah, well, let me check you out. I just, I don't have the heart to tell you you have cancer. I mean, do you, anybody want a doctor like that? I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, or an accountant who doesn't want to tell you that, that you're spending too much money and you're going to be bankrupt in a year if you keep doing what you're doing. Ah, I don't want to give him bad news. He's enjoying himself so much. Do you want, a, do you want an accountant like that? I, I, I'm just saying the truth is the truth here. And Jesus, who knows the heart, who holds the keys of heaven and hell in his hands, is saying, you can know for yourself, (laughs) as you let this knife, this two-edged sword pierce you, and and to say, but I'm not down on you, because such were some of you, all of you, were fornicators, adulterers, extortioners, liars, all of us. Our sinners, filthy, wretched, our righteousness was filthy rags before God. But then God's Spirit made us clean when we understood how vile our sinfulness was to God. We said, I want to end that and I want to live according to His image and the way He made me according to His will and for His glory. And when that happened, He gave us of his white robe of righteousness. And so the spirit of God is speaking to you to speak to everyone. Jesus is knocking at the door saying, open that door. And guess who else is doing this? The bride, you and me. We are to be in the spirit. We are to be walking as Jesus would walk. And what does that mean? We're saying, we're crying out, come, because the Lord is coming. You come to Jesus before he comes. Come, Lord Jesus. And then we're saying to others, come to the Lord Jesus. It seems like a two-edged sword here in this spirit, in this sentence. Well, is it saying, Jesus come? Yes. But then it's also saying, Jesus is saying to the lost world, come. Yes. I believe they're both being said here. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of him. So if you would, we are the doctor who are telling people, you've got cancer. But then we are quickly saying, but guess what? Your cancer is curable. All you got to do is take this one pill. One pill and I'm cured? It's a miracle. It is. So how can I get cured of my 
sin condition, my filthy condition, my condition that will not allow me to go through the gates of heaven right now, just like the thief on the cross. Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom. Ah, let me think about it. Ah, you were sort of rude to me a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, you'd like that, wouldn't you, buddy? You've been sinning like you're, you know. Gracious words, come, come. All who desire, come. All who thirst, come. He didn't say everybody who's worthy, come. Everybody who feels good enough, come. He just said, you got to have a thirst. you got to have a desire. Anybody who... God is knocking at the door of your heart and you are willing to listen to that and open that door, you will have immediately. Jesus graciously said to that thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so that same thief who didn't live but a few moments being right with Jesus, his feet would never touch the ground. His hands would never do good works. He didn't have to come and Hear a sermon by me on Wednesday night, the poor guy. He didn't do anything, but he's going to share the same heaven. He's going to be eating of the same fruit. He's going to be drinking of the same water. Because salvation is not of our works, it's a gift of God. So we're not going out and telling people, repent, and then you've got to go to Nepal and, you know, get your head shaved and, and, and you know, get a, some beads and, and start chanting and, 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 you know, climb up this mountain on your knees and bang the gong and, you know, change your diet. And we're not saying you got to get a rug and face east and pray five times a day. All we're saying is where you stand, where you sit, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, keep living the same life you've been living but now with Jesus at the center, and you'll have life. Do you understand? We got the gospel of grace. We got the gospel of freedom. We got, we got an answer that can be right this second, and I can guarantee him, her, you have eternal life this second. Your name's written in the book of life this second. Oh, everyone who thirsts, He says in Isaiah 55, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come and buy wine and milk without money, without price. Jesus paid it all. Well, in verse 18 and 19, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds these to these things, God will add to him the plagues that is written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. You know, what I teach the whole book of Revelation, which I have not done here, there are many times I say, I really don't know. And you say, well, Brian, you should study harder because these other pastors know. And I'm like, they're braver than I am. I want to be so careful not to add to or take away or speculate something because it's a target. Jesus, in essence, is saying, I'm going to reveal this at times as we're heading towards the last days. And Peter, he says, these prophecies weren't of men origins. They were from God. And the light will shine shine." And as the day breaks, as it comes closer, and it's supposed to be a progressive revelation of these things. Okay, I, I remember as a kid, 
you know, the mark of the beast. The best they could come up with was a magic marker on the forehead, a big fat magic marker, 666. But you can't buy or sell. You can't hide. How, how is such a thing? Now, come on. We're here, right? Now, now we understand it. We can even understand the technology of it. And so, again, to, to speculate, to say it's 666 and to be a big, giant, black magic marker on your forehead, it, 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 it's sort of silly. And so um, it's important because it's lining us up. It's like a pilot going from San Francisco to Hawaii. He's got to get everything dialed in perfectly, doesn't he? In the same way, that's what prophecy is to do. We don't know between here and there, but if we line ourselves up, we'll hit the target. And this is why it's important. And then we come in verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely, I'm coming quickly. Amen. And then the angel or John writes, even so come Lord Jesus. So he starts this sentence saying, surely, do you get it? I'm jumping up and down. The Spirit expressly says, you're going to see it. We're going to be talking about it. We're going to go, well, I've been hearing sermons like this for 50 years. And yeah, I, I, you know, I realize, you know, uh, times of, are more like Sodom. Times are more like Noah. Yeah, I see that. Good's evil. Evil's good. A homosexual permeated society. But I remember back in 1940, there was a bunch of homosexuals then too. You know, and, and you know, you're going to, but yet, what's happened? It's happening, speeding up. Knowledge is increasing. We're going to and fro throughout the earth. Well, they thought we were going to and fro throughout the earth when we had ships in the 1800s. There it is. Prophecy is fulfilled. We can go from coast to, we can go around the world on a ship to and fro throughout the earth. Well, you can do it now. The other day I had read and I couldn't re-find it, but they estimate three and a half billion people a year travel on plane. That'd be half of the world's population. I'm sure some of those are the same person over and over, but Either way, to, and, and, then, and then another one was telling about how many people are in the sky at any one point around the world. Isn't that weird to think? There are literally hundreds of thousands, I don't know, maybe even millions of people in airplanes in the sky all around the world at once. It's just, guys, these things are happening quickly. And so what's going to happen? is we, as much as we are know the rapture's coming, we're still going to be surprised. We're still going to be going, <gasps> it happened. And this is what he's trying to say. Surely, guys, understand, when it starts happening, it's going to happen quickly, and then all of a sudden, boom, the rapture comes in a day you do not expect it. And the final verse of the Bible, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace, God's unmerited favor. I just want to bless you. The, all religions of the world are separate and different from Christianity. And that all religions of the world are trying to be holy to reach God. They're trying to be zealous to reach God. They're trying to be religious to reach God. All their doctrines are, you know, shave your head, chant these beads, be a vegetarian, whatever it is to try to reach God. And Christianity is about grace, the gospel of grace, where God reaches to us and says, 
I want to save you. You can't do it. I'll do all the work. You aren't just going to be approved to come into some second level of heaven like the Mormons teach, but you are going to be in my heaven, righteous as I am righteous. I don't know what we're going to be like, little children, but I know when we see him, we will be just like him. And it'll all be to the grace of God. No one's going to say, praise me, praise me. It's going to be praise thee, praise thee, right? Praise ye, Lord. Praise ye, the Lord. One final verse, Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of a great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, or excuse me, our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. Paul says, Jesus sees it right now. Before you get to heaven, he's already seen you in heaven, seated in heavenly places with him in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to sing Amazing Grace, and we'll be there a billion years, and we're going to go, I still didn't know about grace. I'm still learning about grace. God forgave me. I was a sinner, but after a billion years, I, I, I'm understanding more what it means to be holy as he is holy and understanding the separation. I used to think there was, you know, my sinfulness and God's holiness was this big of a chasm. And then as I understand, I realized, no, that gap was bigger yet. And now throughout eternity, we're just going to realize what grace God has had. And we're going to praise him. He's going to have us seated together with him on the throne, reigning with him. We're going to be reigning with Jesus on the throne. I mean, what amazing grace. It's, it's truly amazing. Not enough can be said. But Lord, we thank you that we have come to the end of the Bible, and this would be a perfect time to rapture the church. But we do know it's, there's supposed to be a tension here. And as we read these words, that, that we would all leave here with a fire in our soul, praying in the Holy Spirit, groaning with words too deep for human words, it's groanings in the Spirit, saying, Lord Spirit, I hear you saying, come, come to Jesus, Jesus, come to us. But we also hear your cry, Jesus, for the bride to be the ambassadors of Christ, to go into all the world with the most wonderful news that all of humanity through all of eternity will ever hear, the gospel of your grace. Forgiveness, purity, mercy, love, a filling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, please help us now to not shrink away in shame at your appearing. You say in Corinthians, there's some amongst you who have not the knowledge of Christ, and I speak this to your shame. Lord, let us not shrink away in shame at your coming. As Peter said, Lord, let us live in such a way, making on our calling and election sure that we have an abundant entry into your kingdom. So Lord, purify us, wash us in the water of your word tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen.